Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we're going to be diving deep into pollution that's present all around us. That's right, when you consider plastic and how prevalent it is in our society, one of the things that can get hidden amongst all of the mess and garbage is microplastics. And we're going to look at where they spread to, what they are, where they've come from, and what actual health impacts they may have. Now we know rubbish and litter can cause all sorts of problems for our environment. And that's clearly evident if you walk along a beach and, for example, see a seagull with a plastic packaging stuck around its neck. And that's the clear, obvious impact of pollution on our environment. And when it comes to plastics, that's the very immediate one that people most think of. Or maybe they think of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, the large island of garbage forming that's roughly around the size of France in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And many other similar garbage patches exist, or collections of large amounts of garbage that sort of amalgamate up into this big mass in the middle of the ocean. And we've talked about ways of examining and analysing that before here on the podcast. But something that sort of goes under the radar of most visible signs of pollution is microplastics. That is, plastics that are, by the definition, around the size of a micrometre, which is 10 to the negative 6. And if you think about the size, that's something that's not immediately visible to the human eye. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it may not have a large impact or be incredibly prevalent. Now, people are becoming more and more aware of microplastics in the recent years, so we're going to take a bit of a deep dive into the concept of microplastics, look at some of the prevalence of microplastics in a variety of different places, but also examine what potential impacts there are from microplastics. Are there any evidence and what the potential risk vectors are for them? Now plastics are one of the great inventions of the modern era and we make plastics as basically as a byproduct of waste from the production of oil and that's one of the many reasons why from basically the 1900s onwards plastic production really took off. Mostly because we had all this leftover synthetic material from the production of oil and we had to do something with it. And thus the plastics industry was born. And one of the common things when you produce plastics is you actually have these little plastic pellets called nurdles. And you ship them off to someone, then they add some dyes, maybe add some other properties to it, melt it down, cast it, form it, injection mold it, you name it. They then produce the plastic items that we see in our everyday lives. And that's all very well and good. But plastic, unfortunately, as it is a synthetic component, is not actually biodegradable, which means if you leave it out in the environment, it will last for a long time. But that doesn't mean it doesn't stop existing in one form. Basically, what can happen is our environment can get polluted by plastics on a really small-scale way in a couple of different ways. And we call these microplastics. As mentioned before, these are anything around 10 to the negative 6 meters in size all the way down to nanometers in size there's a wide ranging variety but basically generally small plastics less than five millimeters is generally the accepted definition but typically mostly around the micron size when we talk about microplastics we either end up with them in a couple of different ways the first is primary sources and that's where people specifically design small bits of plastic 
to maybe replace natural ingredients like almond or pumice stone. Uh, and you add them to cosmetic products, makeup products, as cleansers or abrasives in medicines. And they're generally designed to basically roughen up a surface, uh, which is useful for some cosmetics and cleaning products. Fortunately now, most of those are banned, but that's an example of how you can design a microplastic and actually make it go into your product as a kind of a replacement for an existing natural compound or piece of rock, that, which is what pumice is, for example. And the other source is secondary sources, which is basically when something didn't start off life as a microplastic, but it basically degraded and dissolved and fragmented from a much larger piece of plastic. And that secondary source is also just as important. When we talk about the large Great Pacific Garbage Patch, that's because all the big pieces have gotten together there. But there's also a whole bunch of other smaller pieces in the sea. Of course, you can get microplastics from other sources as well, direct contamination from the nurdles falling off the back of a truck or leaking out of a production plant into the environment is one such source. But other things like tyres and other particles that sort of degrade themselves into the air uh, can, can lead to microplastics sort of spreading. Now, microplastics themselves aren't a new thing. We've known about small plastic fragments as a potential issue since about the 1970s with the first papers written on this very topic. Through the 1990s, people started formulating plans for legislation and the first term microplastics actually came up in 2000s. And in 2015, we started to see some really significant international action on this, including the President Obama's passed a specific piece of environmental legislation to help ban the use of microplastic designer, these primary source microplastics, in cosmetics and cleaning products. So people are aware of the potential issues of microplastics, but it still takes some time to actually figure out what to do about them. Much in the same way as we know that plastic contamination of the ocean in large size is a problem, but trying to figure out how to stop it now that the cat's out of the bag is a bit difficult. The other issue is that, well, based on most analysis, primary sources of microplastic only make up at about 2% of the actual collection of microplastics that we find in the oceans. So whilst the move is good to stop them, it's also limited in its impact. And scientists from the International Union for the Conservation of Nature have published a pretty in-depth series of analysis looking at exactly how much plastic is out there in the oceans and how much is being released per year and how much of that could be microplastic. And of the 9.5 million tonnes of plastic released into the ocean each year, about 15 to 30% of that, depending on which assumptions you make in the modelling of that, are actually microplastics themselves. Now, that is a pretty big and significant portion of the total plastic pollution present in our waterways. And that leads us to ask a couple of questions. Where is it coming from? What are the sources? And most of the sources aren't people on ships dropping something off the side. It's actually normally land-based sources that then run off out into the ocean. So now that we know what microplastics are and roughly how prevalent they are across the world, we're now going to look at a few examples of microplastics ending up in odd places. Now, a team of researchers based out of the University of Gothenburg have been looking at one of the largest production plants of plastic in Europe, the Stinnungsund plant, which is a, produces approximately 5% of all polyethylene that is used inside Europe in a given year. And based on this research, led by Martin Hasselhoff, professor of the Department of Marine Sciences at the University of Gothenburg, 
They've been showing that there's almost like a continuous leakage of plastic from that particular plant between about 3 to 36 million plastic pellets a year. And it actually spreads out from that production site all the way across the coastline. So it's not just the amount of leakage that they've been monitoring, but they've also been monitoring and analysing where exactly all that plastic ends up. And that's in a whole variety of places, up in the fjords nearby and even in a nearby archipelago of islands. Now, unlike plastic packaging that is fragmented and degraded, these are just plastic, raw plastic pellets that have just managed to find their way into the environment, either through a combination of loss through transportation, through cleaning, or leakage out of the production plant itself. And that just goes to show that even in a tightly regulated market like Europe, which has some of the strictest regulations for plastic contamination in the world, you can still end up with a lot of plastic leakage from major production sites. And that industrial leakage is a huge concern to environmentalists. Now that's microplastics that end up in the ocean. But that's not the only place that you can find microplastics. And in a large continent like Europe, one of the major things through that continent is an intricate web of rivers. And these rivers, crisscrossing the countryside and the countries themselves, often can also carry with them all other kinds of pollutants. So to study this, a collection of different German states, including Baden-Württemberg, Bavaria, Hesse, North Rhine-Westphalia and the Rhine-Palatine have been looking at different ways that particular rivers like the Rhine and the Donau and all the little tributaries, creeks and streams, large and small, that contribute into these significant rivers and what exactly is happening with the levels of microplastics from the biggest to the smallest of the creeks. And over a three-year period, researchers from the University of Barroso have been studying the different river samples and trying to figure out what levels of contamination are found across these different river ecosystems. They collected from 22 different rivers in the catchment areas of the Rhine and the Donau rivers, and they found over 19,000 objects in these samples, 4,335 of which were unambiguously identified as plastic particles. And most of those plastic particles were under 5 millimetres and thus microplastics. The most common size was actually between 0.02 and 0.3 millimetres, so 20 to 300 micrometres, as like the most typical type of size they found, which are about 62% of the plastic particles that they found in these rivers. So let's imagine that runoff was happening from the land into the rivers and into the ocean. When we see really, really small particles in the ocean, by the time they're still in these large river systems, they're getting quite small already from fragmentation. Now, interestingly, the actual areas of highest concentration of microplastic were the small and medium-sized tributaries. In the big rivers, like the Rhine, there was actually reasonably low levels of concentration. Now, plastics like polyethylene and polypropylene are the most common types of plastic, and as expected, these were the most common types of ones found inside the samples. But other plastic types were discovered as well. Now, because the size was so varied, most of the suggestion is that these were coming from, in fact, fragment breakdowns of larger plastic objects. Because when they looked for things like pellets or beads, they couldn't really find too many in the local river tributary systems, which goes to show that some of the regulations around the management of those plastics is at least working in Germany. Now, Unfortunately, the levels that they were finding is roughly similar to comparable bodies of water in other places in Europe, as well as in North America. 
And it just goes to show that despite the different amounts of legislation that is in place in places like Europe, it's not seeming to make too much difference to the overall amount of microplastic contamination in the local rivers. And as we said, this ends up flowing downstream, eventually out into the ocean. So this is some good research being done from the University of Barutha. Now, this whole time we've been talking about microplastics in rivers and creeks, and that makes sense because that's where we often find the runoffs and collating. It's especially easy to go look at a large garbage patch or maybe take some samples from a river system to actually study these microplastics. But a team of researchers from the Leibniz Institute of Freshwater Ecology and Inland Fisheries, called IGB, and colleagues from the Freie University Berlin have been looking into what exactly is the microplastic levels on land which is believed to be anywhere between 4 to 23 times the amount found in the water, which makes sense, because how does it get into the water in the first place? Through runoff, through rainwater and other ways. And that's particularly problematic. Now, when you consider that around 400 million tonnes of plastic are produced annually across the world, and maybe one third of that ends up in plastic waste in landfills, or perhaps in soil nearby with fresh water. As this plastic disintegrates, not corrodes, but disintegrates, just fragments into small pieces, we end up with these microplastics all the way down to these really tiny nanoparticles. And this terrestrial microplastic pollution gets to be a much higher level than what actually makes it into the, to the seas and to the rivers because they starts first on land. And for the most part, sewage is the primary example of how we actually end up with distribution of microplastics. Now, the problem with that is that our sewer systems are great. They collect all kinds of waste. They collect stormwater runoff. They collect all different things. But actually, the sewage treatment process itself leaves a thick sludge behind in most cases. And the problem is that 80 to 90% of the particles contained inside that sewage manage to survive and stay through the water treatment process. So if there's any microplastics in there and collated up through this big runoff property, they don't really get filtered and treated out. Unless, of course, you undertake really intensive particle filtration, which we don't tend to do with sewage sludge. But why do we care about sewage sludge? It's just waste after all. The problem is that sewage sludge often gets then onsold or used as fertilizer, and that's incredibly useful for farmers. But the problem is now you've collated all this microplastics up and they're often left behind in this sewage sludge and then that sewage sludge gets spread literally across the countryside so we're collating and concentrating all those microplastics and then distributing them out to the farms again which is actually pretty problematic which means that tons tons and tons and tons of microplastic thousands of tons really end up in our soils and spread through the world yearly then of course then you have further runoff and rainwater and that's how you get larger spread now, that shows that we need to consider exactly what potential ways we can treat and limit the spread of microplastics, not just out in the oceans through collection and reuse methods, not just at treatment production plant facilities by making sure we don't leak out into the environment, but also at treatment plants like sewage treatment plants to try and filter them out and make sure we don't spread them further through healthy reuse processes like the use of sludge for fertilizer.
Now, we've talked a lot here about the spread and the prevalence of microplastics in our environment. And that's because it's relatively easier to analyze and understand and measure these things because we can look at samples from our waterways, from our oceans, and from our soil to actually study these. What's a lot more difficult is to actually try and quantify the impacts directly of microplastics. Yes, we can say there is a lot of microplastic pollution everywhere, but the actual impact of that pollution is less clear. And it's very important to note that whilst we're talking about widespread pollution here, how much of a negative impact it's having on the environment is still very much up for research, analysis, and debate. Now, we know that plastic is synthetic, but just because it's synthetic doesn't mean necessarily that it's going to kill you. It does contain chemicals, but so does everything else. And we know that these microplastics are readily transported through the oceans, through our water ecosystems, and thus can be ingested by creatures. But one of the issues is that the polymers that are inside of plastics aren't incredibly toxic to marine life. They don't tend to actually have any real toxicity to those fish that are eating them. One of the issues that can happen is that you can end up with a buildup, and if you have any irregular shaped particles, they can start to build meshes or little structures, and that can lead to blockages, particularly if you're a filter feeder, if you feed on krill, or if you have gill. But that's not actually that common, and it's not poisoning the fish per se, it's just making a slight blockage. Now, there's been speculated that microplastics might accumulate in the gut and further concentrate their quantities, but it takes generally about 14 days for microplastics to be expelled through the system. And in general, that's what happens with microplastics and most other nutrients, and expelled without many negative effects. Now, the question is, can the microplastics stay inside these creatures and just be absorbed into the bloodstream? And if that were to happen, then it's more potentially likely for there to be negative effects. But in general, and there's unclear studies either side of this, showing that most instances we haven't got firm definitive proof that these microplastics actually get absorbed into the bloodstream for many or most creatures. So if the microplastics aren't absorbed into the bloodstream and they don't really like sticking and hanging around inside tissues, what harm are they potentially presenting? It's not like it's the same as mercury, where mercury is incredibly toxic to marine life, and even in small quantities, the fish eats plankton that have ingested some mercury in them, and the fish eats lots of plankton, so they end up with more and more quantities of mercury. Then we eat lots of fish, and we get the even higher dose of quantity of mercury. In that instance, that absorption and carry through up the food chain is clearly devastating and can be quite dangerous. But that's not the case we're talking about here with microplastics, especially if they're not absorbed, clearly, which is not still yet proven. And it's not like they have the toxicity effect that the mercury does. So what could it do? Well, there's been hypothesized sometimes toxic substances like DDT or hexachlorobenzene might stick to the surface of a microplastic and basically get carried along for the ride. And since microplastics end up everywhere, then all of a sudden you're carrying with them the microplastic itself and a toxic payload. The problem is that when scientists have been looking into this, they haven't actually managed to identify any cases of this carrying along of toxic substances. For example, a group of researchers from Norway have been and the Netherlands have been looking into what happens when, say, seagulls and different types of bird species ingest small bits of microplastic. And if there's any carryover from those birds to carrying and getting impacted by negative toxic substances like DDT. And what they found is actually that the birds that ingested the microplastics had 
a lower level of toxic substances present in them, which is a little bit alarming but confusing, which suggests that the birds eating the plastics were slightly healthier. And what that means is that any toxicity found in these birds is actually more likely from other sources, not the microplastics. A further group of researchers from Wageningen University in the Netherlands have been looking into what exactly it might mean if the microplastics could concentrate up the food chain, like in the mercury example. One fish eats a little bit of microplastic that is eaten by another fish, which then has two times the amount of microplastic, three times, four times, five times, until the human eats it, and we have a concentration effect. And what that research study showed is that the microplastic concentration at the end of the chain wasn't really that different from just at the start of the chain, suggesting there was limited impact of any concentration. The more likely source of the microplastic was just your own ingestion. Let's say you want to monitor what microplastics humans ingest. Well, one that's exposure from the food concentration, let's say coming in through fish or mussels from the Scottish coach, as one group of UK researchers did, from eating all these mussels, they might get 100 plastic particles a year. But the average exposure just from general household dust is around 10,000 microplastic particles a year. So any concentration effect through the food is going to be pretty minimal. So unfortunately, we don't have any serious evidence and conclusive evidence that A, microplastics have any real toxicity for humans or animals for that matter, aside from some blockages and irritations that may cause. And B, that microplastics can get absorbed into the bloodstream. And if that was the case, then they, they may be more toxic. But if they just pass through, you're not doing too much damage. And, and C, there isn't any real clear evidence for microplastic concentration effects up the food chain. So what does that mean? Well, microplastics are still a pretty bad pollutant, and we should be trying to clean up our act regardless. But just because a chemical of synthetic origin or man-made origin is out there doesn't mean it's necessarily going to kill us. But that doesn't make it good either. We do need to clean up our app with microplastics and we need to be wary of where and how they spread. But it's not necessarily the end of all life in the world. There are much bigger and more important chemical runoffs that we need to be concerned about. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Whilst the science may not be conclusive yet on what the health impacts of microplastics are, we certainly know about a lot about how much they've spread throughout our environment, and we need to clean up our act. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.